Welcome to the Building the Elite Podcast, where we discuss the physical, mental, and emotional aspects of human performance within military special operations by looking at the principles that can help anyone thrive in chaotic and challenging environments. Don Tran is a former special operations Marine and is the co-founder of Deep End Fitness. Prior to joining the MARSOC, or Marine Special Operations Command, community, Don was a water survival instructor, where he first began learning the skills that he developed over his career and brought to Deep End Fitness. Don was also a JTAC, a Joint Tactical Attack Controller, which is a specialty within U.S. SOCOM that involves the coordination of combat aircraft in close support of ground operations. He finished his time as a Marine Raider in a leadership role as a team operations chief and spent additional time at 4th Force Reconnaissance Company before leaving active duty in 2018. From there, he shifted full-time into his work at Deep End Fitness, where he and his team teach physical fitness and water confidence, integrating the training methods he learned and developed as a maritime special operator. At Building the Elite, we're big fans of the work that Don and his crew are doing at Deep End Fitness, and we encourage our clients to train at their facilities for in-person coaching on the critical skills in the water that they'll need to excel in their selection courses. The concepts that they're teaching have been at the heart of maritime special operations culture for a long time, and it's great to see those benefits becoming more mainstream and reaching not just other competitive athletes, but people from all walks of life seeking to become more fit while learning to better understand and manage their bodies and stress responses. Don, thanks for joining us here. Can we start out by just hearing about your background and who you are and how you got here? Yes. uh, My name is Don Tran, and um, I was born and raised in Long Beach, California, and I joined the military at 17 into the Marines uh, as an infantryman, as a mortarman, to be specific. Uh, I served four years with a unit called 1st Battalion, 4th Marines. And then I went over to be a water survival instructor at Camp Horno, which is a pool on Camp Pendleton. And then after that, went into Marine Special Operations as a Raider uh, for eight years um, and left active duty in 2018. And then I uh, did a year in the reserves with Fourth Force uh, out of Alameda and Hawaii. And uh, currently, I run a company called Deep End Fitness with one of my buddies, uh, Prime Hall. We served in the military together, and that's where we're at now. So let's start at the beginning there. You said you were a water survival instructor? Yeah. In between, like uh, after we went to selection for um, Marine Raiders at ANS, uh, I met Prime Hall, my business partner. After we got selected together, we did some team events together and we kind of became friends in the process, even though we didn't know each other's names because we were just a number at the time. But he offered <laughs> a job position like, hey, because I had some time and we were the same uh, at the 1st Marine uh, Regiment on the, like the North side of camp Pendleton. And he asked me to, to come over and work at the pool. Cause we had some time about like eight months, nine months before we went over to the actual ITC, which is our individual training course. So that's how I started and now uh, working at the pool with him. And what kind of stuff do you do there as an instructor in that setting? Yeah. So most of it is getting Marines and sailors ready for their swim qualifications and the, like their checking the box to go on to deployment if they're going on me, which is like the Marine Expeditionary Unit and going on the Navy ships and stuff like that. So trained maybe four or five swim calls a day, like getting all these units ready to go, whether it's Mm. student size to even company sizes, um, and then even orchestrated some trainings for like uh, RTC, which is the recon training company. Then they didn't have their own pool at the time. So down the road, they would do all the run swim runs and get ready to head over to 
the BRC pipeline and get ready for that program. And then besides that, it was just training ourselves and getting ready for special operations, like aquatics training. So we had a 15 foot deep pool with like a 12 foot ledge and the rest of the pool Mm -hmm. was probably around like five feet deep. And then uh, we had like an old jailhouse weight set on the side of the pool, uh, just like rusted weights. And that's kind of where we started combining different elements of like pool workouts from what we learned in the Marine Corps. And then, you know, bro lifts on the side of the pool. And then we had the hills cat Pendleton back there too. So combining all through three of those elements was like a huge game changer for us. Hmm. Can you tell me more about what one of those workouts would have looked like? We would do some surface swims, underwater swims, and then like poolside calisthenics or some basic weightlifting. We deadlifts with, you know, those rusted weights on the side, or we could do like hmm. snatches with the dumbbells or kettlebells that we brought to the pool side as well. Really, we kind of use like the elements of like increasing our heart rate and using some type of anaerobic workouts and then going back down under and holding our breath, which is anaerobic to a certain degree as well, while we're holding Mm -hmm. our breath, swimming underneath the water and then adding surface swims as well, which, you know, taps into a different energy source, like our glycolic and using energy source. So we were just playing with that concept in the beginning. And that's how we are what Deep Fitness is today. And so from there, you went through ITC, so like the qualification course to be a raider. And then how long were you active as a raider before you got out? So I went to ITC in 2010 and then got to 1st Marine Raider Battalion in 2011. And then I was there until January of 2018. Can you tell, just describe what a raider is for for the audience? Yeah, it's uh, the Marines version under SOCOM. So, you know, how the SOCOM has uh, the Navy SEALs, Green Berets, Army Rangers, and then also the, the Air Force, PJ, CCTs, and stuff like that. And of course, you got the Tier 1 units. But in 2006 is when the Secretary of Defense, like, hey, the Marine Corps needs their own version uh, in SOCOM as well. So that's when we kind of stood up with a unit called DET-1, uh, Detachment 1. It was like combined with a bunch of force reconnaissance guys to build this unit uh, and this team to carry out some missions for SOCOM. So at the time, I, most of the, the missions were direct action or special reconnaissance. So a lot of like, hey, find your target and then take them out or capture or whatever that is. But now it's kind of evolved into a lot more um, similar to what like the Green Berets and Navy SEALs does on the white soft side, right? Like a lot of foreign internal defense, training up you know, guerrilla forces to go fight whatever wars or insurgencies that they need to do in support of like US operations. What kind of things did you learn when it comes to, say, human performance? What kind of lessons did you learn in your time as a raider? I learned a lot of things not to do, right? Because a lot <laughs> of it was like a sink or swim situation because we were so new at the time. I think we were like the third or fourth ITC class. And uh, a lot of our instructors at the time was like combined of, you know, just scout reconnaissance guys, a few recon guys, guys that actually haven't been like all the guys that were operators already were operating, right? We're still going over to Afghanistan all that time and, and still pumping out a lot. So our instructors were like a mixed match of a few recon guys, maybe like a few raiders at the time, and then a bunch of like scout snipers and stuff like that. So when we were thrown into these scenario, like everybody had a different piece of, you know, how they'd patrol or how they get thrashed and all that stuff. So it was like a lot of learning lessons mm-hmm. from us at the time instead of I would say it lacked a lot of structure in the beginning, um, especially in the pipeline of, of going through it because some of that training was gruesome and I didn't know why some of it, like what was the point of it besides like, Hey, just pushing you to the limit and making guys quit yeah. kind of thing situation. So just from the prospect of like 
breathing properly to proper recovery was a huge portion of it that a lot of guys lacked. I think they kind of tried to program it in there a little bit. And then they had also um, on like the human performance and getting guys ready was this thing they called the PREZ program, which is a performance and resilience kind of program for the guys that were in the pipeline already that had a lot of like mobility work that helped out a lot of like stretching and then trying to do some type of recovery with like foam rollers were coming out at the time. So a lot of those, some type of Theragun kind of thing as well that was coming out at the time. So mm. like getting your muscles and stuff ready and then doing that. So that was like the limited amount that I knew when I was in the military, right? Besides like, Hey, pushing mm. through it and then, you know, getting faster speeds by doing sprints and running and stuff like that. But it wasn't until like after I got out of the military that we kind of dove into that more um, into that realm of human performance. Were you uh, enlisted or an officer as a Raider? Enlisted. Okay. Yeah. What advice would you have for somebody going into the pipeline now as a Raider, trying to be one? Yeah. I mean, there's like 10 different attributes that they really kind of assess you off of, you know, like effective intelligence, you know, leadership, teamwork and ability, physical fitness is only one of them. But of course, if you're physically fit, that helps you out in every other process of like being able to think clearly through things because you're not struggling so much in that point. Right. But mm-hmm. really having the ability to be a great learner and pick things up, but as well as to adapt fastly in the situation, because they always throw situations at you that it was made for you to think through it, the process, as well as like overcome it. And it's that sometimes the solution is, is never even there, right? They just want you to think of thought process. Yeah. So work on that portion of it as well. Um, the stress response and how to deal with that um, just as much as the physical aspect side of it. Right. Cause the physical aspect is only one attribute. And most of the guys that are there are already physically fit, you know, that do, mm. you know, they're almost perfect PFTs or the physical fitness tests or CFT, the combat fitness tests. And then the 12 mile ruck runs are probably like, you know, in the low twos already and, and all that stuff. So besides that portion, you got to work on the other aspect too. If you want to be competitive when you get there. Of those different attributes, did you struggle with any of them or which ones did you struggle with? Physical fitness was definitely one of them. I was always like a, a runner because I did like, you know, track and soccer in, in high school, but like adding weight onto me always destroyed me. I think when I went into like the pipeline, mm. I was like probably 130 pounds, you know, and like carrying 60, 70 pounds of weight was always extremely heavy for me. You mentioned in our, like before we were recording that self-doubt was one of the things that you worked on over the course of your career in the Marines. Where does that come in during your training and qualification process? Or was it on deployments or how did that factor into your time? I think it was sprinkled throughout all of it, right? Everybody has that voice inside the heads that tells them they can do something. And then the other side that tells them they can't, right? And a lot of external factors Mm. can play in to how those thought process flows through your mind. So like for me, when I was going into the military, of course, I was like, I'm 5'8 right now, 170 pounds, right? So think about like way Mm. back then. I was probably like a buck 20 going into the military, probably like five, four, even shorter than I am now, which I'm not that tall, but that kind of played a huge effect into it because, you know, you see guys that are way bigger than you, like cornbread guys from like the Midwest and coming out and just crushing everything. And you're like, that played a huge portion. Like, Hey, am I even able to do this job? Am I able to perform just as much as these guys? So going into ITC, I was probably like 130, like five foot eight already, but I was not able to perform and lift as much weights as other guys. So I knew that after selection, I had like that small window to really kind of increase my strength, my endurance and all that stuff. And that's the time I was working at the pool that kind of allowed me to, to train and work on myself mm. and get ready to go. And I put on probably like 20, 
five pounds of, of muscle, like getting ready to go to ITC. Cause I, that was such a huge portion of, of my insecurities going into it. Like the event that actually met, brought like prime and I together was one of the ITC team building events. And it was, you know, you had your 45 pound rock without water and all that stuff. So probably around like 50, 55 pounds. And then it was carrying two five gallon water jugs or 40 pound water jugs uh, for three miles. And my forearm and my grip strength completely like blew out, you know, like I couldn't even do it after like a mile and a half. So uh, <laughs> it actually helped me carry the weight and all that stuff. And that's how we became really good friends. But that was like something that stuck with me. Like I'm never, ever going to let something like that happen again, that I'm holding the team right. back because of my physical inabilities to do something or the strength or my lack of training to do that. So a quick note here about what Don is describing. Selection courses are designed to assess many different aspects of performance and eventually find a way to break people down so that the instructors can see what's inside their minds when they're struggling. We look at this from a systems perspective, where each individual capacity is connected to the others. And the most important factor is the one that's most limiting at a given time in a given situation. In Don's case, his limiting factor in the event he described was his grip strength alongside his general ability to carry heavy loads at a low body weight. This physical struggle led to that painful moment of feeling like he was underprepared and holding his team back, which is a terrible feeling and something he swore to never let happen again. You don't want to realize in the middle of selection that you have a limiting factor like this, and you don't have to. As Don described, it resulted from him having gaps in his preparation. If you're preparing for a selection course and want to know how to think about the process and put together all of the pieces involved in effective training so that you don't show up with limiting factors, check out our book, Building the Elite, or sign up for training through our app. You can find both at buildingtheelite.com. Now back to Don. That was like my first kind of self-doubt portion of it because I literally held the team back so much and then at the end of selection, I got boarded. So not all guys get boarded, right? Some guys like just flow right through and they pass with flying colors, but I got boarded for my ruck time, which was like 236 or something like that, which I thought was really good. And, but at the time it was unknown distance. So, you know, I was like trotting, kind of like taking my pace. And then I see guys just blowing past me. I'm like, okay, got to speed it up. But the other thing was, <laughs> the, you know, my grip strength portion of it. And then as well as some other psych stuff as, as well, like drinking and stuff like that at the time, you know, your Marines mm. back in the day when I was young age, you know, getting in trouble with that. So, um, but that was like, okay, cool. A portion of the self-doubt. And like, I always thought about like why I couldn't perform the same level. And then sometimes in my mind, I'm like in the genetics, I'm like, oh, you're a small Asian dude, you know, like you're not made to do this. You're not meant to do this. And that's what some of the instructors would tell you throughout your career. And people would tell you, yeah. well, you know, because in the military, it is like somewhat, you know, very open about racism or open about like stereotypes. And they'll tell you and kind of put that into your mind. And it that's natural for you to start thinking that on your own as well. Right. Because even before that, some other things, um, like I got picked to be a Mormon because I was Asian as well, which, you know, I don't, I don't care. I love being a Mormon. What's the, what's the connection there? Well, because the math that you have to do, like as an FBI, <laughs> the points to, to drop, you know, the coordinates and all that stuff. So anyways, but wow. that's always kind of stuck in my mind. Like, hey, is this going to be holding me back or do I have a choice here to like prove them wrong and show them that I can mm. be a, a viable member and contributing member to the team and all that stuff. So that's how it definitely kind of starts. But going into ITC, it was 
the same thing, right? Even though I came like as physically fit as I possibly could and, you know, as fast as I could, the best in the water as I possibly could be, there's like points in the throughout IC that are made to break you all the time. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. by design, you know, but then I didn't think it was by design. It was like, oh man, these guys are after me and, and all that stuff kind of thing. So of course, throughout the process, it's like always a choice of like, hey, man, are you able to do this? And then really understand, I mean, a lot of the military podcasts, and I'm sure you guys talk about it, is like, hey, understanding your why or like, what's your, re- your deepest reason that makes you want to succeed and pass on to the next thing, right? And for me, it was like, you know, cliche as it is, like, my dad, when I was growing up, always told me like, hey, whatever you were going to be, be the best at it. And I thought that this was my opportunity to be the best. I didn't go to college like my sisters and all my cousins and all that stuff or be like lawyers and engineers or whatever, you know, they were being. And so this was like my way of proving myself to the family and, and like to show my self-worth. I was able to do something for it. So, mm-hmm. but after I see graduated, like I thought I was like on top of the world and all that stuff. And then we went into the unit and it was kind of like the same thing. Like I remember checking into first Marine Raider Battalion one time when we had this guy, Master Sergeant Durbin at the time, I think he grad or he retired as a master guns, but old recon guy. And he was like, the first day we got there, he was like, all right, who wants to go to airborne? Everybody raises their hand. Who wants to go to dive school? Everybody raises their hand. Who wants to go to free fall? He's like, no, none of you guys aren't going to any schools. So you prove yourself at the T cell is where we're at, like the training cell. So like help organize the ranges and for all the team guys and mm. all that stuff. So that was like another kickdown, but all the yeah. it, it's like, Hey, now you have to show your worth again, you know, and, and consistently like, like no matter what you do in the military career, it's never over. You always have to continue to prove yourself. You always have to continue to overcome whatever self doubt and all these things people tell you to go to get you where you are. That, that was like the military aspect of it in training. But like on missions as well, like overseas and all that stuff, the real self-doubt comes in like towards like the end of deployments, right? Like, man, I've been out here for like, you know, our deployments were probably like seven to nine months kind of time frame. like towards the end of it, you mm. get complacent a little bit. Like, man, is this something I really want to do again the next time and come back on another deployment and, and all that stuff, miss the friends, family, yeah. see all that kinds of thing. And that kind of really changes something in your mind. Like, Hey, is this, something that I want to continue to do, or am I even able to do this? You know, cause like you go through breakups on, on deployments, you go through like relationship problems, you go, you like miss birthdays and you know, and all that stuff. Or if your parents are sick as well and you kind of miss a portion of that and not be able to there to support that. So it's always been like a kind of struggling of back and forth. Like, Hey, can I do this? Can I not is, am I in it for the right reasons and kind of thing? So in 2018, I, I got out of the military after my, five and a half deployments and two of those were with uh, the infantry battalion. So I got out after that. But after that, I was like, okay, well, what's the plan now? And what am I going to do now? So I was like, okay, cool. I've always interested in in some type of business and opening that up. So started my undergrad program for um, business. And then we, Prime and I, Prime got out like a few months before me from medically retiring because he he blew out his back a few times. But so we put our heads together and we wanted to start an idea of like, hey, let's start a company together. And then now we're going from all the military challenges into a completely new one of like, hey, transitioning out of the military and then as well as starting a business outside of it where both of them, we had nothing, no idea of anything to do, you know, and then we pitched the idea a few times like, hey, we want to start an aquatic fitness company and we called it just Underwater Torpedo League at the time, which or Underwater Football yeah. League at the time 
which is what it was when we were playing in the military as like water survival instructors and, you know, special operations that kind of just increase our own self-confidence. But we pitched that to like a mm-hmm. few of our Raider buddies that were like, you know, our leaders at the time, like our company commanders and all that stuff. They were like, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. Why did they think it was a bad idea? They said that like it was designed for, you know, special operations guys or all that stuff that regular civilians wouldn't be able to play it. Uh, it was too extreme. There's no real benefit to it. It was just like a, a meat brawl kind of thing. And although like sometimes <laughs> that it, it was like that, you know, it just depends who you're playing with. But, you know, we just had a lot of doubters out there. And then that was like, man, are we really doing something that is going to be worthwhile? And at the time we were going through school mm-hmm. as well, right? Prime was going through his MBA program. I was going through my undergrad and we're just like figuring this stuff out. Like, hey, is this something we can do? And then by the middle of 2018, we got like some training opportunities to train with some NFL players during their off season. And that was kind of like our spark and aha moment. It was like, Hey, maybe we do have something here. Maybe, you know, we should not listen to all the, the leaders that are still in the military and only focus on that for their yeah. entire lives, you know, that they don't know everything right there. So even through the process of from there on, it's like starting a business in like doing something different and out of the norm or, you know, disruptive, you'll always get a lot of haters out there and a lot of like people that will tell you that you can't. And Mm -hmm. from our perspective, it was like, oh man, in the military, people told us that we can't the entire time. You know, I told me I can't. So that was like my first step. Like, okay, my instant thing is like, hey, what are the obstacles that we're presented with? And then what are two steps that we can go further than what the obstacle is? So solve that obstacle and then try to figure out another step, another way, right? And if that doesn't work, okay, maybe that's not the best course of action. Let's change it a little bit, adjust it, and then try it again. And like starting the business until now, it's like felt like we're just like pushing through so like uphill battle the entire time until like a few months ago, like we're finally getting things going and the ball rolling. And we've been at it for like five and a half years at that point, you know, we're at like six years right now, but still trying to figure it out. But self-doubt in a, in a small business comes from so many different ways too, from like, Hey, financial performance, you know, like financial staying alive period, you know, at, for as a company, a lot of people that go out there and, and say like, Hey, this isn't a viable training solution. And like the science side of starting it as well has been a huge thing. So a lot of different avenues of people telling you like, Hey, this is not the best training or this is not the best thing, but we still kept with it and we were still pushing through it right now. So still figuring it out, mm-hmm. but we're finally getting enough traction. We're like, Hey, we're actually showing that we're providing a lot of value for people, um, not just in the military, but outside of it as well. So it's been a, a huge push and, kind of a long-winded way of talking about overcoming self-doubt a little bit, but it's my experience with it anyways. I kind of forgot about this effect, but did you find that when you were getting out, most of the people in the military who were going to be there for the rest of their life or, you know, like for a full career or whatever, did you find like a pretty high level of cynicism from them? Like basically they all thought you were going to go be homeless as soon as you got out of the military? Yeah, so many of them. Part of it is because, like, they, if, if you were a decent guy, they would want them to stay in with you. I mean, I mean, for mm-hmm. you to stay in with them, right? To kind of go through that struggle yeah. bus and like be on the same journey as them and, and go through the same things. But man, I saw like all the guys. So I did, you know, 12 and a half years ish in the military in the active duty, right? And I was like, my, it was my turn to go over to the East Coast in North Carolina, be an instructor and then come back maybe to the teams and then, you know, serve as a, a team chief or some type of higher position ability. But man, I saw all those guys about their, their divorce rates and how much mental issues and they were struggling with that. They never really told anybody about, right. Cause like going to this, yeah. whatever it was like, like against 
the grain against like asking for help was like non non heard of, you know, and like mm-hmm. guys were like getting out and like extremely struggling, even after 20 years of transitioning, you know, or 20 years of in the military and transitioning out. It's such still such a hard thing for them. And I, we see that now so much with our nonprofit and we're trying to help these guys out too. But like people are, are hurting and they don't want to do this, you know, but people have told them like, if you stick it in for another six years or seven years, you're going to get a 20 year retirement and pension kind of thing. And, you know, some of them are, are made for it and they do an amazing job and they continue to crush it. But most of these guys, dude, are burnt out, dude. Like they're like, that is real, you know? And that's really when self-doubt mm-hmm. comes in too. It's so much times of like, Hey, I'm yeah. here 18 years and I have two years left to do this. Like, can I even handle that? And, you know, drinking problems and you know, like, you know, all that stuff. So it's a hard, hard life and hard journey, but um, there's yeah. a lot of initiatives now, like with a amount of like raising veteran suicide and military suicide and stuff like that, that actually people are taking a big pivot to focus that on that more, which is good. I mean, yeah, there's, there's that weird pressure to stay in, you know, like people want you to stay on the bus with them or however you phrase it. And then the other piece of it is that you're going from somewhere where you've worked really hard to gain this sort of status or like this position in a, a well-respected elite community and you're surrounded by people like you, you know, like there's a lot to be said for the sense of belonging that you have there. And I think that's also one of the things that you don't realize until you leave, like how different the civilian world is going to be if you don't manage to find your people again, like how isolating it can be. But that's one of the biggest like steps or jumps that you have to make is going from somewhere where you had this sort of status where you were accomplished and it meant something to the civilian world where nobody cares, no one knows what you did or could understand it really anyway. And and you just kind of start over as a new guy. You know, you started as, what would you have been, like a 30-year-old undergrad in college? Yeah. Uh, and that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly though. But, you know, in the military, you're always given a mission, right? And that's clear, concise, like, hey, you're about to go overseas and, you know, you need to set up a VSP site or whatever that is. And you're going to find these insurgents, you're going to kill them. And then when you get out of the military, you're like, oh, <laughs> shit, like, what's my mission here? Is it to go through college? Is this for me? Is this like a time that I could focus on myself or figure myself out? Sometimes people have the opportunity to set themselves up with like savings and stuff like that. And they, they can do that. But some people are like on to the next mission immediately. And for me, it was like, oh man, you know, I guess like subconsciously was like gain some type of status or some type of elevation in education. And that was like my way of like my next target, like I need to hit, like, okay, yeah. go to undergrad. All right. What's next after undergrad? Like, Hey, all right. What master's program can you go to? What business experience can you gain and all that stuff? And I think that was like my way of like picking another mission to be able to focus on that and not like think about like all this that was going on or the things I've experienced in the military and like kind of, compartmentalizing that for a second and then going through the educational side and, and, and piece like that. So as you were doing that, like where did deep end fitness come into play? Like, did you finish your undergrad or did, did you start that concurrently and, and put it together while you were still finishing your degree? Yeah. We, so we started the, the company or the idea in, in November of 2017. And then I was already going to a community college at the time, Orange Coast college, I think at the time. So it was like starting the business and then going to school the entire time together up until like last year. Where was your first facility at? So we started um, two locations and we had uh, one of our mentors, uh, Derek Carrera. He was a team commander for Prime's team when they went to Afghanistan. Um, He's like a serial entrepreneur now starting a bunch of med tech companies. 
and stuff like that. But he was like, Hey, if you can start two locations and get people to come out and, and watch it and participate, you know, within like a month and a half, you might have a business idea to go, go for it. So we started pools just North and South of Camp Pendleton. I was living in orange County at the time. So I started pool at, at San Clemente. Um, and mm-hmm. then prime started one down in Oceanside, uh, cause he was living in Carlsbad. So those are the kind of two first locations we started and then started slowly pushing South first, uh, and then slowly pushing North as well. So we have a few locations in like, uh, orange County, LA area, and then bunch down in San Diego, Carlsbad, North County and all that stuff. So, and are these civilian pools like where are these facilities? Yeah. So with Deep End Fitness, currently, uh, since like September of 2021, we license out the brand, the company, the name, the training program to an individual, and they'll find a public mm-hmm. or a private pool facility that they can run fitness classes out of these training facilities. So if you could think about like a CrossFit affiliate model, but in a rented pool. Okay. What was it like being able to do that? Because I can imagine if you were explaining to the owner of a civilian pool that your plan is to give people like weights to jump into the water with, you're going to have them do all this underwater training or like literally just fight with each other under 12 feet of water and see who wins. Like they would probably walk, like have you escorted from the building because it sounds terrifying and like a tremendous liability risk, but you pulled it off and you got people on board with this and you seem to do it safely. So how did you manage that initial sell before like, this is a pretty unknown concept in the civilian world. So like, how did you cross that bridge? So number one is like, hey, we need a face-to-face with the pool manager as much as possibly can, right? Emails is like, hey, wait, what do you want to do? And then it's like, we <laughs> for the email side, it's like, hey, can we show enough track record without sounding like, hey, we're overly doing it and all that stuff, right? And we have a few articles that came out that like focuses on like training professional athletes and things like that and stories and newsletters and stuff like that that came out with focus more on the science side and the benefits of that. So if we can get a contact and and talk on the phone or talk to in person and, and go there and find what value they're actually need at their pool, it's kind of where we want to go, right? And that's like kind of a little bit the, like the human intelligence side and understanding like what their desires and what their needs are before pitching something. Because if they don't care about right. a physical or, a, you know, adding any extreme workout program to a pool that has nothing but like six-year-old people at their pool, like they wouldn't care about us that. So we're kind mm-hmm. of identifying that gap in the value that we can provide for them first. Is it, you know, training and helping the veteran community out there? Is it the first responder community? Is it, you know, mm-hmm. bringing in younger crowds to their pools and, and changing the image and the views of that? So kind of identifying that gap, what that is first, and then going there. Um, and then talking to them like, and then proving like, Hey, this is like our track record. This is like our safety procedures that we do. You know, in the military, we always have what we call operation risk management or ORM. You know, there was a, a spreadsheet or risk matrix that like, Hey, these are the risks. This is how we deescalate them. And then this is how we're going to be performing with these deescalated risks kind of things. Right. So we do that, all that portion of it as well. But now we're at the point where we have like 29 operating pools and like, I think a few other contracts signed trying to start those in the beginning of the year. But now we're at the point where like, Hey, to expand and grow even more, we've kind of dialed down all the pools that have allowed us to do this, especially in key areas that we want to be in. So now we need to turn it up a little bit. So working with like the American Red Cross, which is like hmm. the organization that kind of tells all these pools like, Hey, you know, cause right now there's a no swimming more than under 15 meters underwater and no more than 30 seconds holding your breath. Right. And that's like, Jumping off the high hmm. break for competition swimmers, they're allowed to swim 15 meters underwater. They come up, back up, and then they can do whatever stroke they're, 
you're competing in. So navigate that as like, hey, what are the benefits of this underwater training? And then are people already doing it? And are they doing it in a safe environment? So that was kind of the question to be posed to them. And people are already doing this, especially around military bases, right? All these guys are preparing for whatever special operations pipeline they're going into. And then a lot of free divers are already doing it and all that thing. So is there a way that we can provide a safer training tools and having the knowledge and the education to push out to these people? So that's the kind of goal that we're attacking it from that angle right now with it. So understanding their values and how to provide value for them and then giving them a, a solution for that and some type of training that we have. The other thing would be to, to show them how safe the program really is. So you mentioned early on you worked with, I think it was NFL players was one of your first pro athlete populations that you worked with. Is that right? Yes, correct. Yeah. During the off season, and uh, a lot of the guys live in, in Southern California at the time. So it was easy to kind of recruit. And we got the connection through, it was uh, like a jujitsu gym that prime was training at that kind of got, mm. and then we got in with some MMA fighters at the time um, from like Alima Lay McFarland. She was like a huge Hawaiian MMA fighter for Bellator uh, with Dom Cruz down there in San Diego as well. Um, and that kind of opened the doors and like, kind of gave us the attention of like their professional athletes network and like, Hey, this is the type of training that we want to do. You guys want to come out and check it out. And we ended up running like a six week off season with like maybe eight NFL players in the pool. And we started training them, but that was like a huge learning experience where I was like, Hey, how can we relate the water to what an NFL athlete is doing on the field? You know, and that transition mm-hmm. point was like, okay, cool. So we can know we had the mental aspect, right. Of like their timing of, them going underwater and then can we relate that to like how much they're stressed out or how much how fast they're running to the play so we kind of timed it out started asking all these wide receivers these safeties these tight ends like hey what's the average time from the line of scrimmage going off running your play and then being back on the line of scrimmage and like hey being able to down regulate get that ready all that down regulate your mind and your body to get ready for the next play it's kind of how we kind of marketed and and played with that portion Mm -hmm. of it in there so from there i was like okay playing with the stress response, right? Or playing with the nervous system of like, hey, how fast can I go from my sympathetic nervous system back to my parasympathetic into a better state, right? Because in the military, it was the same for us. Like before going into a house, Mm. take a deep breath, slow everything down, and then get ready to go into the house because you don't want to go in there ramped up, amped up the entire time because you're not going to be able to shoot straight. You're not going to be able to communicate correctly. We just used our experiences from the military and then kind of dove into that, right? Because that was where our credibility was, right? Like, hey, we're these guys and we're trying to train these guys to be better at what they do as well. And like a really good scenario for that was because like sometimes like even, you know, from our background, we go in there and we're intimidated by some of these guys because they're, you know, fans already coming up to them asking for autographs and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. that could be like a huge portion of it into like, am I even qualified to train these guys right now from my experience? And that's like another self-doubt portion. Like, hey, how do I kind of yeah. read that? But these guys are never looking for, if they're like a bit professional baseball player, they don't want another professional baseball player coaching them, right? They're Say they're like a category of like a line or something like that. And then we're over here as special operations guys or whoever that is. And we're like tigers. So they want to learn from a tiger and their tactics and how they navigate and deal with stress instead. So that was always kind of like the even playing field for us because you know, we were the experts in our field and they're in the experts in their fields and how they train, but they wanted an expert experience and from a different perspective, everybody has something to learn, especially from other athletes. And then we started creating these environments where it was not just football players anymore. It was like professional surfers. It was, you know, MMA guys. And we would run these sessions that we call them like the, 
elite sessions who were just invite a bunch of athletes come in, they train and they can learn from each other. And it was a really collaborative experience and a really unique experience that you couldn't get anywhere else that everybody was struggling and going through the same things, yeah. no matter what discipline or what sport they were coming from and playing. So that was like a huge learning experience for us. It's a really useful like training methodology. As you just described, it's the specific application in a different career or a sport is going to change. You know, like you might be going into a shoot house and you need to regulate yourself, or you might be an NFL player coming back to the line, a first responder trying to, you know, like process trauma patients or something like that. But the, the central component to all of that is the ability to rapidly downregulate, manage your stress response and do something that's really high stress and challenging and requires a ton of focus while simultaneously managing your stress response and minimizing your oxygen consumption or, or, you know, like controlling yourself and being able to have a gas pedal and a brake pedal. And being in the water like that is probably the best way to do that with like a feedback loop or with something that is making sure that you really do it because you could talk about that concept and have someone go do like a CrossFit workout, but they could be all gas, no break, nothing but sympathetic and just blow their way through it and never really regulate, but also not really know that they're not doing it well, where you so throw somebody in a swimming pool and tell them to calm themselves down, like, <laughs> you know, in about 10 seconds, if they're able to do that or not. Yeah. So you have that, that immediate feedback loop in an environment that also like affects our sort of like primitive phobias, like our, our primitive stress responses. Like everyone has a level of vigilance when they're under the water that they have to manage. And I don't think there's anything else that does that that well. So you've managed to tap into something that's an important part of performance and resilience for a lot of different sports and occupations. And as you described at the beginning, like no one else thought this was possible. Like no one else thought that you were going to be able to do that because it sounded weird or scary or too difficult or whatever. And yet you found a ton of people from a lot of different backgrounds who realize that it helps them and that they need it. Yeah. And like, it doesn't matter how experienced you are. Um, like you were saying, when you go underwater and you hold your breath long enough and you're doing enough work, you're going to max yourself out, right? Like you're going to get that stress response really fast. And you know, like all the research that we've done is like, it doesn't matter if you are a firefighter running into a, a burning building, or if you're a young Marine or soldier going into a gunfight, or, you know, if you're an NFL player and you guys are on the fourth down, you guys got 20 seconds to go and you're wide receiver and you didn't make this catch. Like that level of, of stress is the exact same, the same endorphins, the same things that happens to your body. It's the same thing as when you go underwater and we're asking you to swim 25 meters after you just did like, you know, 10 burpees or whatever that is like, oh man, I'm gassed out. Like I'm fearful for a second of like, hey, can I even do this? And can I push myself through it? Or do I understand my body's limitations enough? Do I understand my capabilities enough? And do I understand like, hey, I can take a second to downregulate, even if it's one second, right? It'll help you out. It'll put you in the situation to make better decisions to evaluate better options and then choosing the best options and going from that. So that's kind of what we do. But there's a funny story that we were training some of the Red Bull athletes, right? And they were talking about like using fear inoculations from like finding these guys and girls deepest fears and then putting them in that situation. So like if a dude was like deathly afraid of snakes and he couldn't land one trick, you know, and like he's been trying to trick for like a year and a half, 
right? Because the first time he did or the second time he did it, he snapped his ankle or something and he was on recovery for a few months or whatever that is. Now, like they put him in that same situation, like, hey, work through it, like fight the snakes or whatever, like it might not be touching him, but like putting him in that really fearful situations and having him navigate through that is like what they were doing, which is like in, insane to hear that. But like, man, you can do the same thing in the water, right? No matter how yeah. good of a swimmer you are, you can still push that limit to do that. So yeah. it's a very interesting kind of thing. And, uh, you know, like uh, everybody looks at it like, oh man, these guys are just, you know, lifting weights and stuff underwater. But, you know, it's kind of hard to kind of put people that mental aspect unless you've experienced it. So that's yeah. where our goal is now trying to push out and, and try and just get people in the water as much as possible, get them to, to, to train in a safe and effective way to experience it before, you know, they make their things. But like some of the comments on our, like, you know, Instagram or something like that, especially on the underwater torpedo, like league side, like it, it's hilarious uh, reading about like, you know, stereotypes and racial stereotypes. And there's like a <laughs> flying in it in the water with the <laughs> torpedo and everything, you know? So it's just been interesting to see, but as soon as people experience it, it's like, man, it's a game changer for a lot of people. So we're super pumped. Yeah. About that. Outside of like the physical performance side or managing stress and a challenging occupation, I think it could also have applications for just, actually, I think your, your NIH paper might've been on this a bit on, on helping people to manage baseline anxiety or like emotional issues, uh, because there's a really strong connection between interoception, like your ability to understand and sense what your body is doing and a lot of emotional regulation issues like things like depression or anxiety people who are high in those things typically have a really hard time telling you what their heart rate is at a given moment or tracking any of their kind of basic physiology and that's intrinsic to what you're doing when you're in the water like you have to understand your physiology and how your thoughts and your mind is affecting what's happening in your body and, and then track what your body's doing and how much oxygen you have left and like how much more time you've got and what you could do to change that trajectory. So aside from, you know, like if you're an NFL athlete or a, an MMA fighter, I think there are a lot of just regular people who would really benefit from this because it's a way to learn how to like sense into your body and understand the connection between what you're doing in your head and what you're doing in your body and then your emotional state at the same time. Yeah, that's that's huge, right? Like, I mean, on, on the research paper and what we did was like, hey, decreased amount of anxiety, depression, and kind of better being able to manage stress response and having like a positive affluence. So like understanding like, hey, I, there's a positive outcome out of all this if I put myself into like the stressful environment or whatever that is, right? So people go through the same stress response like we were talking about, like, and that could be the same thing of like having a fight with a significant under or whatever that is. But at a deep end fitness session, we try to put them in that stress response probably like 20 to, to 40 different times, right? And 20 and 40 different times of you mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm stressed out right now. I don't know if I could do this. Okay, wait, I'm going to slow my heart rate down. I'm going to do my breathing patterns. And then I'm going to get ready for the next thing and then go back down underwater. That constant going back and forth like, hey, am I okay? All right, I'm checking myself. I'm ready to go back down. That alone really helps build new neural pathways to help you adapt to the situations when it's some, from something else and other stressors outside of the pool situation. And that's really like the, what the benefits of the program really is for us to, to kind yeah. of play with. And it's, I think there's something valuable in that it's, it's a real stressor. You know, like a, a lot of people, North Americans in general, 
spend their day kind of like swimming in anxiety. They're worried about something kind of imagined in the future that isn't an immediate threat. So like if you look at the two different ways our stress responses can go, fear is distinct from anxiety. And a lot of people spend a lot of time experiencing anxiety where they're worried about a potential or imagined threat, but they don't actively deal with a present threat. They don't experience fear. But being in the water brings you into the present moment and you're you're dealing directly with fear. You know, like because it's a real thing. Like it's a universal human phobia is drowning. So like literally you're doing something to keep yourself from dying is the way your brain will perceive that. And and once you've had that experience or once you experience that on a regular basis and managing that it can kind of turn down the volume on a lot of other things, on a lot of the other like future-oriented anxieties. Yeah, and that's the goal with it right now. So you nailed it on the head with that one. Do you see uh, one thing that I always find funny with this? Like it's a it's a known kind of established thing in the special operations communities. That the water is a the great equalizer, uh, and it's especially bad for like really jacked muscular dudes, <laughs> like the guys who are like bodybuilder types that are really dense, really lean. They sink like a rock and you can see like, like they're, they're often, especially in a soft pipeline, the kind of guys that are pretty self-confident in at least an external way, but then you throw them in the pool and (laughs) their whole world changes. Um, And I've seen that be such a shot to some people's ego that they can have like really strong emotional responses to that with like, I I think it's coming from a place of kind of like sudden insecurity combined with actual fear, uh, you know, because they're drowning a little bit. But have you seen that where people who are otherwise like really competent, like masculine looking dudes are suddenly very vulnerable and have to learn how to deal with that or they lash out and become kind of like emotionally unregulated? I would say that in our environment at Deep Infinite, we removed like one of our principles or like kind of our culture ethos is like a no flex zone. So we try to bring people that are humble or like that want to be humbled by the water instead of like, Hey, bring your ego to the thing. And most of the instructors will pretty check you very fast mm. on, on that situation because we're not, you know, like in the gym, you can eagle lift and not be as dangerous, but in the pool of like, you're doing stuff for ego and pushing the limits and you don't really understand where you're at that can, create a really bad situation for everybody there and get us kicked out of the pool and canceled and all that stuff. So we kind of promote that environment where we don't really have a big egos kind of thing. And like everybody's doing the class and we'll definitely give room for people to improve and push their limits, but you know, they need to understand that first. And we always like the building block approach for a portion of it. But, you know, at the beginning of every session as well as we'll help them understand and learn their buoyancy and where they're naturally at. Right. Some of these dense guys don't know like what their buoyancy is like mm. going to sink right to the bottom. Do they know that? No, they probably don't. You know, like so we allow them to yeah. play with that and test their buoyancy level and then we empower them. Instead of like, hey, you know, you sink like a rock. It's going to be really hard for you to stay afloat. But hey, maybe on the other side, it's really it's going to be really easy for you to go down and grab these bricks or these weights and do all the underwater stuff because you don't need as much energy to swim down there. And then on the, you know, other hand is like, Hey, we have positively buoyant people, right? People, higher fat content and all that stuff. You know, we empower them like, Hey, it's going to be easier for you to stay afloat, but you know, understand that it's going to be hard for you to go down. And we'll, we'll do that on the very first session to help them understand that, to kind of navigate that instead of putting that in that situation where they, need to be stripped of their ego and, and all that stuff. So a little bit different kind yeah. of mindset into it. Yeah, that's helpful. 
What are the like basic safety guardrails you put on it? Say like an underwater torpedo league session or something that's more competitive. What are the basic rules that people follow in order to make sure that they're staying safe? Yeah, for deep end fitness side, always in water safety, no matter what. Anything more in water safety is like, it doesn't need to be an instructor from our side, but hey, it needs to be at least the most experienced swimmer in the water. And hey, they understand their job is to make sure that they clear the water when everybody's coming out of the water, they're the last person out kind of thing situation. And mm. kind of just back playing from what crazy things we saw when we were in the military, right? Like, hey, let's, how do we remove that situation? Another thing is we do is we have what we call a circle of trust. So we understand their, we do their names, their swimming background and like their personal goals for the day. So like goal intentions and the goal setting in the beginning of it, but it gives the instructors ability mm. to understand everybody's swim capabilities for that day. Uh, if there's a new class or something like that, right? If you're really experienced with most people in the class then you're not going to be really as vigilant as possible, but if there's a new person that give their experience, it allows them to do that as well. Uh, we always use the buddy system right? The, I feel fine signal like this. So if you want to have poxic, you're not going to be able to get that fine motor function skills of touching your index fingers and our thumbs together, as well as pronouncing the SRML. So we make it a cultural thing mm. at the pool sessions that no matter what they come up out of the other side of the pool, any prolonged activity underwater, they give a, their buddy a quick, I feel fine signal. Right. And that's just like, Hey, if they're able to do this, you know, they're not going to black out, but even some guys we've seen like come up out of the surface, and then they'll black out afterwards, right? That's a typical thing because your body's yeah. still in that response kind of thing. So, um, and then for the UTL side, man, that was a big learning experience for us as well. Like, you know, in a competitive kind of sport, we have one rule that's called like a lockout rule. So no more than four people on the torpedo at one time. And that's two from each team, right? Hmm. Prevents like a big dog pile and the person down there getting things. Someone um, gets trapped. Exactly. And then no grabbing or pulling anybody unless they have the torpedo. Right. So like no legal contact mm. is what we call it. No, we can't impede movement up or forward for anybody if they don't have the torpedo. But if they do, then you can stop them. But if they let go of the torpedo, you got to let go of them as well. We have two in-water safeties for UTL, right? Two referees that kind of watch them and make sure everybody's okay and all that stuff. So Is that like someone on a snorkel? Like how does the in-water safety keep an eye on everything? Yeah, they'll have fins, red shorts, black top, kind of rash guard or, uh, you know, wetsuit top if the water's getting a little chilly. But um, and a snorkel and stuff like mm. that. So they have a little buzzer. Okay. So if they buzz the, if they have a long buzzer, it's like means somebody scored and everybody would come up to the surface and they'll do the squ- scans at the bottom. Or if there's like a penalty, same thing, get everybody up to the surface and they could do the scan at the bottom. And one guy looks on top, one guy looks on the bottom. So yeah, it's mm. been uh, dialed in from all yeah. learning experiences of, of other, you know, like of learning and, and messing <laughs> up and having situations get pretty scary. So. Yeah, I imagine it's like kind of evolved a lot from the version that we all learned in the military, you know, like the special operations version, which is more like uh, yeah, you say baby this? Oil chaotic. Off each other. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Slipping yeah. off. Yeah. The Navy guys, I don't know if recon guys do this. Like we all wore those like silly, they're basically like the Hooters waitress pants, but they're khaki. And that's like your uniform, the the UDT shorts. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they have a useless pocket on the back of them. And one of our things was like trying to rip the pocket off of everybody's shorts. Because if it didn't tear, you could like, it was a handle and you could pull them really fast off the bottom of the pool. Yeah. Yeah. So like everybody, that that pocket was gone. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I didn't know you're salty. That was like a sign of the pride if you didn't have the yeah. pocket. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So 
like on our side through BTE, we we coach people or train people who are going into special operations pipelines. And this is one of like the water competency side of it is one of the most difficult things for us to manage online because you can't really write in a workout and tell someone to just go to the pool on their own and go do a bunch of drown-proofing and underwater skills. So we actively try to send them to you guys um, in whatever population center they're hopefully at. And you're at, what did you say now, 29 facilities? Yeah, 29 different locations right now. Yeah. Is this all within the U.S., I assume? All within the U.S., yeah. So this is like, uh, we've had some interest like towards the end of uh, 2023 um, and looking at like UK, we had an instructor come out to Southern California to do some training with us. And then he's heading back to start something out there. We had some interest in like the Philippines oh, cool. and the UAE, uh, Australia, of course, because they're hmm. a big water community environment. But going to start exploring that, what that looks yeah. like this upcoming year. But no real experience in the international expansion kind of phase yet. So got to do a lot of research and a lot, make sure that we protect the brand, protect the people that are going to be participating. Yeah. And, yeah, there's a lot of those selection courses, say SAS or the Australian guys, where they they don't have a, a huge swimming component. Like they don't have to be able to swim multiple miles, like a like a bud student or something. But they all have water comp things where they have to be able to tread water, go through some underwater drills, maybe a beehive tread or something like that. Basically, just not panic and not drown. Yeah, and exactly. so yeah, there are a lot of these places where being able to go for in-person training would be super useful. Yeah. And like a huge market for us now that we're looking at it is like getting people to be comfortable before they go free diving in like a lot of tourist spots. Mm. Right? That's a huge thing. Cause that's a lot, a lot where, where people go snorkeling and like they have it, accidents or drowning incidents when they're snorkeling and they want to go in Hawaii and see all these things. So it's kind of a different market that we're tapping to that we didn't really mean to, but all these people are hitting us up. And that was kind of more of the international, like in the Philippines for like the resorts and Thailand at the resorts and stuff oh, like that. Yeah. And getting people ready before they go out or else they can't really have fun if they don't really understand the principles and they just throw on yeah. some and they go out, you know, and that kind of ruins it. So it's an additional way for everybody yeah. to capital as well as better prepare them for a better experience. That's a good idea. Cause yeah, if you aren't comfortable there, you're going to have a five second breath hold, maybe like, it kind of ruins the experience if you're out snorkeling or free diving or something. Yeah. To hold their breath for like two minutes, you know, um, without even thinking about it. So yeah. just got to understand where you're at with that. But uh, like you said, the, the military aspect, we're just diving a little bit more into that uh, as well and, and helping out our more official kind of things. All our locations pretty much run, uh, if they have the demand for it, they run some type of military prep, but finally getting in with like the Air Force and, and helping some of their pipelines out um, as well. So super pumped mm-hmm. about that. That's where our heart is, you know, uh, and where we come from. And given the tools that we didn't yeah. really have going into the military to be successful on that side and trying to figure it out yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Firefighters are another population that we try to send to you guys as much as we can because it's physiologically a similar thing. They have to do something that's really intense and stressful and regulate their stress response and minimize their oxygen consumption at the same time. And it's something that's like, it's hard to do that. It's hard to like realistically train that in any other setting. And so if they can find one of your facilities, it's it's a great training tool. Yeah. Thank you for that. How can people learn more about Deep End Fitness or find a facility near them, hopefully? 
Yep. You can go to our website at deepinfitness.com. You can see our 20 something locations and uh, there's links on there about starting your own location as well. And our big push is like, Hey, pushing this training type program out to as many people as they can and gain the benefits out there. So if you have business acumen, you're a fitness instructor, or, you know, you love the water and you want to start something, jump on our website and you can learn more about us and check out our Instagram and our, some of the viral videos we have on there at deep in fitness as well. All right, cool. Well, thanks for your time. This was, this was helpful. Cool. Yeah, of course. That's it for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. You can learn more about Deep End Fitness at their website, deependfitness.com, or on Instagram, where their primary page is at Deep End Fitness, and you can find individual accounts for locations across the country.